Bruyne. What a ball towards Bob. And Oscar Bob tucks it in for what may prove to be the decisive goal. And yes, they'll talk about the finish, but what about the setup from Kevin De Bruyne? Nakamura. Nakamura! That's a glorious goal! One right in the top corner and right out of the top draw in terms of quality. And Japan have turned it around. Michelle Heyman one-on-one with the keeper! There's the hundred! Michelle Heyman take a bow. Placed by Subasish, found the cross on Gerpreet, only touched it into the path of Jackson Irvine. And that mistake allows Australia to open the scoring. One of the great nipping in behind, here's a chance, goodness me. He's only just come on. And Geordie Boss with his very first touch doubles Australia's lead. Goodness me, Riley McGree. Thank heavens for that. Australia getting past India 2-0 and the Asian Cup campaign is off and running with three points in the bag. Daniel Garpia with you for the global game on the SEN Network alongside Australian football great and Scott McDonald. Hello, Macca. Hello, good afternoon, Garby. And lot of lots and lots of football to talk about. Some good stuff over the weekend. Isn't there just plenty uh, for the Socceroos to dissect, which we'll do in a moment. We'll get across to Doha and speak to Simon Hill. I caught up with him last night. Obviously, uh, right now it's the middle of the night in Qatar. We'll chat all things Unite round. There was plenty to talk about. On the field, it was absolutely fantastic. An equal record number of goals scored in a normal round in the A-League men's. So that was gripping. Plenty of other talking points around the concept too. Jack Hingott will chat to us from the Brisbane Raw. They won their first game with the new coach, Ben Carnes. So they'll be breathing a bit easier there in Brisbane. And all of a sudden, they're back in touch with the top six. We'll talk about the Premier League over the weekend. It's a bit of a split round, if you like. I, don't, I know they don't have those in the Premier League, but uh, if you play fantasy, you'll understand what I mean. Half the points counting for this week, half the points counting for next week. So... Uh, Man City made their statement with Kevin De Bruyne back. Liverpool have to wait a week to try and bounce back uh, next week and uh, keep their lead at the top. Lysia Canavis will speak to us about women's football and Paul Williams will give us some more insight on all things Asian Cup. But let's get into our starter for five, Maka, um, Scott yep. McDonald. Let's talk about the Socceroos to start with. The 2-0 win over India. What caught your eye? Can be positive, can be negative, whatever way you want to go with this. Look, re- regardless of how sticky it was it's a positive because we won the match mm. um and that was what you need to do on the tin um 2-0 could have been better in terms of a little bit more flow within the game yep um you know my take on it you know my player um that i think stood out and should start the next game is Riley McGree yeah you know uh, look um he chose Connor Metcalf Bacchus and Irvine as the three for for this first game um but it's clear for me and hopefully others to see that, you know, McGree is a driving force in there and makes uh, great forward runs and creates things and creates havoc into defences with those third man runs and late runs. And, and we've seen that none better than obviously the second goal. So I'm on a similar tangent with that. But what caught my eye, I guess, was the player who was given an opportunity, I think. I mean, McGree, I have no doubt, is in Graham Arnold's first eleven. I think he held back a couple of players to give others an opportunity against India while still naming a very strong side. One of them is Conor Metcalf, who I think is a fantastic footballer and has a massive future with the Socceroos. Not sure he took his opportunity in that first half, Scotty. And he did some nice things, but 
as Australia was struggling to really get its flow on. He was the one they looked at to make a bit of a difference ahead of Irvine and Bacchus in midfield and just wasn't quite at his best. And then when he comes off, McGree comes on, Australia goes up 2-0. So I'd like to see a bit more from Conor Metcalf when given those opportunities. It's a ruthless caper international football. Sometimes you get a chance, you don't quite take it, and uh, then a coach has a bit more doubt around you. I don't think that'll be the case with Conor Metcalf because he's young. But, I mean, he'll be worried about that, no doubt, because he'll, he'll expect Riley McGree to come back into the starting eleven. We're a better team with McGree and Boss yeah. in the side. And there's no doubt about that, right? The difference they make in terms of their pace and fluidity. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the interesting one you mentioned, the latter there, Boss, mm. you know, the position that, that Graham you know, brought him on as, um, you know, wasn't his natural position, you know, playing in that left-back role. He brought him in that more attacking forward, you know, left-winger role. Uh, are we going to see that more as the tournament progresses? Um, only time will tell. It was interesting because you, you, you'd you normally say, right, well, it's going to be like for like, isn't it? You'll take Bayich off, you'll bring Boss on. Mm. Uh, but it worked. His first touch goal, which is great. First goal for the Socceroos. Wonderful start for him in the tournament. Um, but yeah, look, it's interesting. You have Tilly on the bench, didn't bring him on in that moment. He chose Boss instead. Um, does he continue to go down that route? Does he trust Boss as a left back at this moment in time? Um, you're 1-0 up against India, but chose not to do that. Right mm. move in the end because he scores. Um, but, yeah, still still a lot of questions on who he's going to play. But I, I, you know how you said you, that they rested a few players or held a few back? I don't believe that for a minute, Garby. I'm sorry. I, I just think that that's Arnold tried and tested. I, you know, McGree's going to push his way into this team now. Mm. I think Metcalf had the jersey, but I think because of McGree's performance, he will now get that get that jersey and I think that's all to do with obviously because McGree's had a few injuries yeah. not played as much um, he would naturally like you said though be that first choice I would I would imagine but because of that and Metcalf's been playing but that's the one change for me that, that definitely has to happen for the next game sure and I think Boss probably comes in as well, probably at the expense of Aussie's Beige, which is harsh on Beige, but I just think Boss is too big of a talent. I think he's the best of all of our youngsters. And I've, I've said this for the last year or so. I think of all the youngsters we've got coming through, Geordie Boss is top of the pops. And I think he can be Australia's Gareth Bale. I'm not saying he'll be Gareth Bale, but that player who maybe breaks forward into a left winger from a left back yep. role in the future, he's got it all for mine. I think he'll go to the very top. It's a big yep. call, I know, but I can see Can't him being disagree. a Premier League player one day. Can't disagree. But the only thing I disagree with is he will not play the next match from the start. There you go. Interesting. He will stick with Bayich throughout this whole tournament. Graham Arnold, if there's one thing that you've learned over the period and over the course of time, wherever he's been, he plays his tried and tested and the trusted man that mm. he has always been with. And maybe, just maybe, that might be the downfall of this tournament. Give us your thoughts on that. 0457 736 736. That's why we love you, Scotty Mack. You're outspoken, mate, from the off. All guns blazing. Brilliant. <laughs> just asking questions, that's all. It's it's what you should be doing. Hey, Unite Round, let's talk a bit about that. What caught your eye from a, what was a uh, cracking weekend on the fields uh, yes. in Australian domestic football? Well, you mentioned it, you know, the amount of goals that were scored <laughs> and uh, the amount of crackers yeah. that were scored. You know, that's my question for you, Garby. Which goal took your eye the most in mm. the week of the United Round? Probably Alex Shuzhner of the Perth Glory. He reminded yeah. me of Daniel Agas <laughs> drifting forward for Liverpool back in the day when he scored a beauty against West Ham at Anfield. Um, for a centre-back with a nice left foot, that was an important goal as the rain was coming down hard at Combank Stadium. So probably Shuzhner's, but there were some serious candidates alongside him. What about for you? You know what? 
I agree with you again. This is interesting. We're agreeing a lot today, Garby, so far. <laughs> you but, just disagreed yeah, with I, me a moment ago. Yeah, but we agreed to disagree. So <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> but you know what? You, you had to get, get Liverpool in there at some stage or another. We're only <laughs> Very five early. Minutes. There we go. Five minutes or what, yeah. what not into, into the chat. And Liverpool are mentioned already. But yeah, I have to agree. And it was, yeah, it was quite similar to the Aga strike. You, you're right. But my God, there was, you know, Rufus strike. Yeah, Rufus uh, was good with a rifle. Davies, um who else is Peñas oh, as Peñas well? Peñas was a beauty. Yeah, so I mean there was there was so many, and then yeah. Um, yeah, there was a couple in that Perth Glory Wellington Phoenix game, wasn't there? You know, it just seemed to be cracker after cracker. But yeah, I mean, again, we'll we'll go on to it, but real shame there wasn't more to actually see it. Yeah, we'll touch on that a bit later on. Jing Reese, I love that goal from the Mariners as well. The ball from yeah. Maxi Ballard, and it wasn't a cracker in terms of uh, an individual goal, but the way in which you ran onto that, rounded the keeper, showed composure for a young player and scored mm-hmm. a critical equaliser for the Mariners who are on a great run right now and stopped the victory from claiming two more points. Uh, they're still undefeated for the season, the victory, but that was big for Central Coast too. So they are still well and truly in the groove, the champions. What about the players that caught your eye? For me, it was Uli Davila, Scotty Mack. I mean, the hat-trick on a night one against Western United, a former Johnny Warren medal winner. MacArthur are going along nicely. I know they haven't won in a while, but they're getting their points in games they're up against it in and fighting hard. They're showing a lot of pride in the jersey right now. I think they are building very slowly, but surely yeah. a better supporter base there. And when you've got someone like Uli Davila as your captain, scoring hat-tricks in big games and playing as well as he is, well, that helps matters. Yeah, he's a wonderful talent, and obviously we all know the difficulties that he's been through in, in recent times. And it was it was really really good to see him, you know, back at his best um, over the weekend there. And you know, he's just got a wonderful left foot, and he, yeah, he's a tremendous player, and, and he's going to be a, a big player for them to to the end of the season. Now, if he can stay fit, um, they're going to have a, a great run at it and get into that final series. You would like to think, uh, you know, Millet as well. Stajowski, we need to talk about that. He's mm. done a wonderful job considering where they were at last year and to consolidate it and, and how they're performing now. Um, but there's a lot of candidates in there, Garby. You know, Ibisuki with a hat yeah. trick as well. I have to say, Jay O'Shea also. Champion. The Brisbane Raw. Costa Barbarousas as well, getting another mm. two goals. He's been in fine form. Look, I'm going to be a little bit biased. I'm actually going to say Jay O'Shea Good. for me because week in, week out, he continues to do it. For Brisbane Raw, regardless of their results, he's the man on the park that they look to. And you know what? If they don't have him, they're lost. Oh, you know, for me, <laughs> they'd really, really be struggling, you know. And uh, how he's added goals to his game um, you know, in the last couple of seasons as well, um, it just shows how vital he is. And he could walk into any A-League side, no problem. Oh, he's a big candidate for the Johnny Warren medal for mine. You shudder to yeah. think whether Brisbane Raw would be without him over the last few years. My goodness. Adam Taggart as well. Big goal early yes. on. He's up to eight for the season. If he started this form run just a couple of weeks earlier, I think he would have been debated a lot in terms of the Asian Cup squad. Wouldn't have mattered much in the end because Fauna Rowley was ahead of him. But people would have said, well, Taggart's, you know, he's younger. Potentially, should he be the player they take rather than Fauna Rowley? I'm not saying it would have happened, but no. it would have been spoken about a lot more rather than him being left out of the conversation. Just finally, before we get to a break, and then Simon Hill in Doha, Kevin De Bruyne and his incredible oh. intervention for Manchester City against Newcastle United, the goal and then the miraculous assist. What has that done to the title race for you, Scotty Mack? Oh, it's wide open again, isn't it? I can't believe, like, a couple of weeks we were writing them off, but I just want to wax lyrical about his goal. People <laughs> just underestimate what class that was. The vision he has, he knows what he's doing, putting it through that guy's legs and side-footing it into the far corner. Mm. 
that's that's an unbelievable talent there. It's specialty. And I always say to young players as well, look for legs to open. Strike through <laughs> legs. You know, many a goal in the Premier League. You see it week in, week out. But that guy is something special. He's off the planet, isn't he? He's just yeah. arguably one of the best, if not the best, uh, midfielders that has uh, played in the Premier League. He's 32, and he said when he was out injured, I want to come back and be the best player in the world. It looks like he's been doing something in the gym or mentally to just get himself ready for this return. To do that after so long out and have that sort of impact at a tough place to go, away to Newcastle and James's Park, of course. Wow. it's um, Yeah, they're always going to come back at some stage, but they've mm-hmm. just put a big exclamation mark in terms of uh, their ability to win the title again. Liverpool will be concerned about that, no doubt, as will Arsenal. All right, we'll take a quick break on the global game on the SCN Network. Daniel Garb and Australian football great Scott McDonald with you. After the break, we go chat with Simon Hill in Qatar. Well, I've got a bit of imposter syndrome here because as a fill-in host for the Global Game, I've gone over to Qatar now to interview the regular host of the Global Game in Simon Hill, who's joined us all the way from Doha. Hello, Shim. Hello, Garby. You're doing a great job, mate. (laughs) You haven't been listening. You don't know, but thank you very much anyway. (laughs) (laughs) You've been to Qatar plenty over the journey. We were there together sharing an apartment for the World Cup, of course, just over 12 months ago. Um, What's it like to be back as we delve into the uh, specifics of the Socceroos in a moment. Yeah, it's a bit like deja vu, Galvi. Uh, the security <laughs> cordons are still the same around the stadiums. It takes you hours to get anywhere. But uh, no, obviously, it's great to be here for a major tournament. Um, <laughs> a little bit of variety in terms of the destination will be nice. But, you know, we know that this is modern football these days. So, uh, yeah, we're enjoying it. You know, we're doing uh, the World Food commentary as well as for, for Network 10 and Paramount+. Plus. So, uh, you know, we're very busy. We've got a game every day. Uh, today's wow. Indonesia against Iraq. But uh, no, it's a lot of fun. That must be a lot of work, obviously, trying to uh, scrub up on the names of different players from all over the world. But of course, the main focus is Australia. And uh, we're off to a winning start. After half an hour, we were a little bit nervy. But uh, eventually, the goal came in courtesy of Jackson Irvine in the second half after a rare Indian mistake. They defended well early and then uh, McGree and Boss combined beautifully for the second. So what's the uh, the feeling on the ground over there about the way the Socceroos played and, and what should be read into it in the uh, early stages? Well, I think they get uh, a pass mark, probably no more than that, for doing what they had to do against India. Uh, the performance could have been a bit better. And to be honest, there were, there were echoes of at least in my eyes, what happened against Bahrain, a, a team that you know defended in depth and defended very doggedly, by the way. I think they deserve, as you rightly say, a lot of credit for the way they dug in and really tried to frustrate Australia. They didn't have a lot up top, let's be honest, but uh, uh, you know that defensively, they were very, very solid. Um, but Australia found a way, as they did against Bahrain, which is great. Uh, whether that's going to be enough when you get to the pointy end of the tournament and you're facing the likes of Saudi Arabia, who I think we're scheduled to meet in the quarters, and then Japan, if we were to win that in the semis, is a different matter entirely. But, uh, you know, the old saying is is that you don't start at 100% and you build into the tournament. Uh, so in that regard, I think it's it's a solid enough building block without really pulling up any trees. And I'd, I'd hope that they'd be a bit better against uh, Syria and they'll probably have to be. Yeah, I was impressed with India, though. I mean, look, Igor Stimac doesn't have much to work with in terms of talent, but he's got them well organised. You know, and if we've seen it mm. so many times in football and have done for 100 years. If the 
superior team, which Australia were on the balance of play, doesn't quite have it in the final third. And the inferior team is well organized and grows in confidence defensively. You know, they can potentially snare a result. He's been there for five years now. He's a former Croatian national team manager, obviously a fantastic player for them. They're a fascinating football nation because there's a billion people. I heard you and Harps on the call saying that football is a, a big sport there. Um, you almost hope that they can go to another level. But, you know, there seems to be some sort of building block there for them. Yeah, there is. Uh, you know, they won three trophies, albeit minor ones, in uh, 2023. Uh, and this speaks, I think, in terms of the bigger picture to the globalisation of football. Uh, you know, the Indian Super League is growing in stature. It's had a lot of investment. And, of course, they're now uh, attracting players uh, good players from overseas. We know that a lot of players from the A-League have gone there. Jason Cummings and Dibby Petratos, to name but two. There's plenty of others. Mm -hmm. uh, so these Indian players are being exposed to uh, good players and, and good levels of football, and they're growing. And uh, goodness me, if they get it right, they could be anything they want to be because, as you rightly say, there's a billion people in that country. And cricket aside, football is the main sport there. So... Uh, you know, they, they've got something to build on and that they're making progress. And, you know, just on some of the individuals, Igor Stimac gave a debut to Deepak Tangri in, in midfield. And I thought he was absolutely sensational. Uh, Ditto Jingen, the, the central defender who ended the game playing with the headbands, you know, they, they they didn't cause Australia too many problems in an attacking sense. And that's that's the missing link. And we saw this, uh, you know, when Vietnam played Japan, they're a bit better than India going forward and they managed to grab a couple of goals. But, uh, uh, you know, it's it's all very well setting up in a defensive block and being solid. But the next part of the game is is to try and score goals at the other end. So, yeah. you know, that's something that they've got to work on. But there's no doubt that they're an emerging nation in football terms. And, you know, the AFC is going to be all the stronger for it if uh, if India starts to... Uh, to become a, a power on the regional stage. Back to Australia, I guess the big talking point out of the game was the impact of Riley McGree and then Jordan Boss off the bench. So is it a fait accompli that they come in and start now? Why didn't they start this game? Was it to give a couple other players opportunities against the weakest team in the group? Or do they certainly come in from here on in? Because the feeling amongst fans is get both of those players in the starting eleven, and we're a much better football team. Yeah, I think Riley McGree in particular, uh, you know, gave Australia that little bit of extra creativity, that bit of spark that they'd been missing in midfield. Um, and this is no disrespect to the three midfielders that started, Metcalf, Irvine and Bacchus. Um, but, you know, they get, they can be a little bit samey at times. Maybe Jackson Irvine's, you know, got a bit more about him going forward. Uh, Keanu Bacchus had a decent game, but... Uh, you know, we're, we're, as a nation, I think, probably missing that Tommy Rogic-type player, that Aaron Moy, that Massimo Luongo, uh, who's recently retired. Somebody who can unlock a stubborn defence, which India were. And Riley McGree did that off the bench. So he certainly put his hand up for selection for the game against Syria. Uh, Jordan Boss, of course, is probably in direct competition with Aziz Bayic, even though he can play a bit further up the field as well. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the nod in, in game two as well. I, I think Graham Arnold went with a hugely experienced team against India, although they're the weak, weakest team in the group. He couldn't afford any slip-ups. And, uh, you know, this speaks to the pressure around a major tournament. I mean, you remember four years ago, uh, you know, Graham was was very bullish before the game against Jordan. We're going to dominate them and we're going to impose our game. And it ended up backfiring as they lost. And then they're playing catch-up. So, 
you can understand it in a way that he wanted by hook or by crook to get those three points on the board and uh, he did that. Now we hope that Australia takes things up a level against trickier opposition in Syria and Uzbekistan. What have we seen from them? They played out a draw in the first game, which helps Australia top the group potentially. It keeps Syria and Uzbekistan alive, but Australia wants to finish first in the group. It boosts the Socceroos' chances of doing that, providing they take care of business against Syria and Uzbekistan. How do you uh, frame those matchups based on their first performance? Well, I think if you can imagine that the Asian Cup is a staircase, uh, you know, Australia have taken the first and probably most straightforward step. And from here on in, it gets a little bit steeper. Uh, Syria, I think, are the third best team in the group. Um, Bit surprised that they're without Omar Al-Soma. Somebody's told me that's an injury, but uh, I've heard heard also that he's fallen out with Hector Cooper, uh, the coach. So he's not here, which is a, a major surprise. He's probably their best player. Omar Kribin is, but started on the bench against Uzbekistan. So, you know, this is a new look Syria from the one that we remember from the 2017 uh, World Cup playoffs. Uh, They've got uh, some expats, as a lot of teams uh, are doing at this uh, Asian Cup. Uh, I'm about to call Indonesia, and they've, you know, dipped into their, their diaspora to try and boost the level of their team. And Syria have done the same. Uh, Hector Cooper calling particularly on South American players of, of Syrian descent uh, to try and improve the level of his team. So I think they'll be tough to beat. Again, you know, I don't think they've they've got a huge amount up top, particularly without uh, Al Soma. Maybe Kribin will start. He's he's a very good player. We remember him from 2017. Uzbekistan for me is going to be the toughest game in the group. Uh, they're without doubt um, the the best of the next level in Asia. And even though they're without Eldor Shomorodov, who's who's injured, that the Roma striker is on loan at Cagliari, which is, which is a big blow for them. Uh, they could provide Australia, I think, with the sternest test. And I think that will decide who, who finishes top of the group. And uh, obviously, Australia want to do that to have a more straightforward round of 16 tie. A couple of quick ones. And then my final question. Firstly, who do you think wins it? Early stages of the tournament? <laughs> What's your pick? I know you want Australia. But just a quick one on who you think might win it. Well, Japan. I mean, <laughs> you know, even though they got a bit of a scare against Vietnam, uh, went going 2-1 down, the, the quality that they have and the depth off the bench, when you can bring on the likes of Ritsu Doan um, and Ayesa Ueda, you know, they, they could field two teams. Takuma Asano didn't even take to the field against uh, Vietnam. You know, he's been wrapped in cotton wool. Uh, Kubo, another one who plays for Real Sociedad, he was on the bench uh, against Vietnam. So, you know, they're scary. They've won 11 straight games. They've scored 49 goals in that uh, 11-game streak. And even though they were a little bit lax defensively, I'm not too sure about their goalkeeper, to be honest, Zion Suzuki. Uh, But they've got so much uh, going forward. I I think it will take an extraordinarily good performance Uh, from anybody to stop them, really. Who is the team that you think might be the best story? For those who are observing the Asian Cup, give us a romantic story at this tournament that we can maybe keep an eye on. A romantic story. Uh, Well, it would be nice to see a team from Southeast Asia, you know, go deep into this tournament. I I think that's an untapped region in terms of uh, football passion uh, and success on the regional stage. Uh, are any of them good enough to do that? Mm, Vietnam would were handy, you know, they were good defensively for a while against Japan before quality told. 
so they're a potential good news story. Philip Trussier, hugely experienced coach, who's won the Asian Cup before. Uh, Thailand, Indonesia, Malaysia, they're all improving. Uh, Thailand are without Shanatip, which is uh, which is a big problem for them. He's such a good player. Uh, the other two are, are a bit of an unknown. I'll probably tell you more after I see Indonesia today against Iraq. But that will be a great story. And just on Iraq, I think, again, you know, they could be the romantic story, if you like. Uh, it, it looks as though they've got another golden generation brewing, a young striker called Muhammad Ali, who's very highly rated, Ali Jassim as well. So uh, under the leadership of Jesus Casas, the, the, the Spanish coach who used to be number two to Javi Gracia at Watford, by the way, in the Premier League, uh, they could go deep into this tournament. They normally do, to be honest, uh, and are normally ignored by most of the pundits in terms of who's going to win it. So I don't know what, what price another uh, Iraq sensational Asian Cup victory. It's Kyrgyzstan for me. We went there a number of years ago, Simon, you might remember. We had yeah. a great time. I was just amazed by how passionate they were about their football and their team. And we saw signs there that they had some ability, you know, if they were given some years to grow. And if they're in this Asian Cup, I think they play some nice stuff. So that's the romantic story for me in this tournament. Now, the Asian Cup on the whole, I was there in 2019 in the UAE. Uh, the culture is a little bit different, a little bit similar, I should say, in, in Qatar. And I was amazed. They, you know, they made it so difficult for the average fan to get in. There'd be a VIP entrance. And a, I kid you not, listeners, a V VIP entrance. That's not a joke. An extra <laughs> V in front for the very, very important people. What's it like at this tournament? Has anything changed or is it much of the same? No, it's just the same. It's just <laughs> the same. This is the way it is in, in West Asia, unfortunately. And... Uh, yeah, there are little irritations, uh, you know, particularly the exclusion zones around stadiums. It's it's like Fort Knox trying to get in. Your drivers are going round and round and round trying to find an access point. And every time you find one, the, the answer is no, you've got to go on to the next one. Nobody really seems to know, you know, where you're supposed to be. Uh, and you walk in, you know, hundreds of metres in, in pretty hot temperatures. And it's in it's winter here, but, you know, it's still late 20s, early 30s some days. Um, so it can be pretty tiring uh, trying to navigate your way around the stadiums. But, uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's the way it is in this neck of the woods and, and something really that the AFC could probably do with looking at. But, um, yeah, I don't think things are going to change in the short term. We're not VVIPs, Garvey. We never uh, were and probably will be. Yeah, I think you qualify and you should be. The World Cup was great because that was FIFA run. Yeah. And when AFC runs it, then it's a slightly different story sometimes, perhaps. But uh... I'll, t- I'll tell you, I tell you, we did see yesterday who does have VVIP status. Uh, we saw Timmy Kale at uh, the uh, Japan Vietnam game. So Timmy had no problems. <laughs> I'm shocked that he's secured that sort of status. I mean, we saw him on the broadcast for Australia India. It looked like he had a lounge to himself in the stadium. So. Yeah, well, after what he did in 2015, good luck to him. He deserves it. Simon, thanks so much, mate, for uh, joining us on your show, The Global Game. And uh, we look forward to listening to your calls on Network 10 and Paramount Plus from Qatar for the Asian Cup. Go the Socceroos. Pleasure, mate. And uh, thanks thanks for keeping the chair warm for me. You're doing a great job. No worries. The Global Game with Daniel Garbin, Scott McDonald. With thanks to Paramount Plus, catch the Socceroos in every game of the Asian Cup live this summer only on Paramount Plus. They're in action against Syria on Thursday night after that 2-0 win over India in the tournament opener for Australia. Jack Hingott from the Brisbane Raw to join us in a moment after their first win under their new coach in Ben Khan, a 3-2 victory over the Newcastle Jets as part of the night round. That was at Allianz Stadium. 
Some concerning news before that, though, Scott McDonald, for the A-Leagues. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, close to 50% of the 80-odd workers at the Australian Professional Leagues, known as the APL, are going to lose their jobs this week and be made redundant. It's a move to stabilise the finances of the APL after uh, their first three years since going independent from Football Australia. Um, But that is seriously concerning. And as part of the restructure, this is reporting in the Sydney Morning Herald, sources have indicated that Keep Up, which we know is the APL's digital and content arm, which cost a lot of money, and set at the core of the organisation's strategy, will effectively be shut down. It's a sad state of affairs, isn't it? Another, yeah. you know, a lot of good football people, you know, now looking at staring down the barrel of one, obviously not having a job and financially what that brings to them, um, but also now losing good people to the game yeah. as well. And this bright new world that everyone was uh, telling us all about, been in meetings as well because I was still playing at the start of it. I'm mm. um, yet to see it. It's, uh, you know, I don't want to be the, the doomsday guy, but this isn't a good look for anyone within the APL whatsoever. And, um, you know, however they want to try and brush over this, um, it, it's looking like it's it's just because of money. It's yeah. as simple as that. They spent all this money on um, acquiring these people, acquiring the Keep Up app, trying to promote the game. And all of a sudden now it's, well, you know, a lot of people have gone hiding, haven't they? Yeah. Or they've left. Um, and now a lot more people are leaving. So it's it's not it's not good and it's not good enough. You feel for And people will get out on social media and they'll have a crack at the APL. Just remember, good people have lost their jobs. Good yep. football people who love the game and are committed Correct. to the game. So try and keep that in mind if you do chime in on everything that's going on. This will be a big talking point for the next 24 hours or so. We feel for them enormously. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the APL is adamant. They're going to keep expanding. The team in Auckland's coming in next season. Steve Corica at the helm. Bill yep. Foley, very rich man, has run football clubs, investor in Bournemouth. He's adamant they'll be a big success. Talking about teams in, in Canberra coming in as well. And there's still rumours about a team in Tassie. So they're desperate to expand and they're not going to slow down on that front. So mm-hmm. there's reason to be encouraged there, but this is not a good sign. And, it always uh, takes my mind back to the comment that Steve Lowy made when uh, the restructuring was done and they spoke about going independent and he said, be careful what you wish for. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I'm not saying that'll be the case. Hopefully going independent will end up being a great move for all in Australian football. But right now it has you worried when you hear news like this, close to 50% of the APL's workforce is uh, being made redundant. And that is um, very, very sad to hear indeed. Jack Kingett from the Brisbane Raw is going to join us very shortly here on the Global Game on the SEN Network. And uh, that is news to get you a little bit more enthusiastic on your Tuesday afternoon because the Raw are back up and about under their new coach in Ben Khan. Daniel Garp here with you alongside Scott McDonald for the Global Game. And Jack Hingett from the Brisbane Raw has been good enough to join us with thanks to Paramount Plus. Enjoy a mountain of football on Paramount Plus, the A-Leagues. FA Cup, the Socceroos, all of it live, including Australia's current Asian Cup campaign. If you were, and if you were watching on Paramount Plus on Sunday, you would have seen the Brisbane Raw win their first game under new coach Ben Kahn. That must be a very good feeling, Jack Hingard. Thanks for joining us, mate. Uh, no, thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it was. Um, obviously, it's only Ben's second, second week in with the team. Um, so it's great, obviously, for us as a team and for him as our new head coach, to um, to get that win, that first win in. So that gives us a bit of confidence going into, uh, we've got a pretty busy schedule coming up, so it gives us a bit of confidence going into that. So, it's um, yeah, it's great. Hi, Jackie. Obviously, Scotty here. Look, it's been uh, a strange 
you know, run of the season with three different head coaches in, in three weeks <laughs> over that Christmas period for you. But um, it must be good to be back in that winner's circle, yeah? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, as you mentioned, Scotty, we've had uh, quite a few changes and we've uh, we've become quite adaptable here at, at Brisbane Raw. So it's... Um, <laughs> No, it's something that obviously it's part of football. Things things change quickly in football, and you've got to be able to adapt quickly and and handle that and deal with those things. So it's um yeah, it's been quite interesting. But um yeah, like you said, getting that first win with the with the new coach is obviously great for for everyone's confidence uh, moving forward. So it's um yeah, it was a great great result. Obviously, I think the performance wasn't wasn't quite there, and there's still quite a lot of uh, things we need to work on and improve. But I think the most important thing from from the game on the weekend is that we showed that we had that character and that grit. Um, to keep going and to keep fighting to the end and come back from behind um, twice to win. So, uh, yeah, it was a great, great bit of confidence for us. Nice to see Jonas Markovsky score his first A-League goal, the son of the uh, the legendary John, of course. Been looking forward to uh, that moment coming for him. It was uh, perhaps close to the uh, the line for, for Jonas, but he uh, converted at a crucial time for you to go level at 2-2. And then Joe O'Shea did the rest from the penalty spot. So you're back up to eighth on the table, Jack. The goal difference has taken a hit, though. That's after that 8-1 yep. loss to Melbourne City, of course. I'm curious to know what yep. transpired after that game. So obviously you're in the midst of coaching changes and a state of flux yep. after Ross Eloisi leaves. But what's said in the dressing room after, let's be honest, a humiliating night and how you went about yep. turning it around? Yeah, look, that's just that 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 game there. That result was just something that can't happen. Um, regardless of you know what club you're at, that's just something that that doesn't happen. And we kind of discussed that as a group. Um, that it wasn't good enough. It was disappointing. It was as you mentioned. It was it was embarrassing. Um, so I think what we spoke about the most important thing was to to have a reaction from that. That's the only thing you can do. Um, once it's happened, it's happened. So there's no no going back. It's um, something that we came together and had to discuss as a group and just. You know, and speak about not letting anything like that happen again. Um, in terms of, you know, the attitude, the mentality, um, we've got to be stronger. And, and I think, I think the most disappointing thing from from that game was, I think, you know, a lot of a lot of us in in the team after conceding a certain amount of goals, kind of dropped our heads a bit. Mm. And uh, and then obviously the rest the rest, the rest happened and ended up getting worse. So that's something that can't happen in football. And we we sat down together and, and had a big big talk about that and and something that we've kind of promised each other can't won't happen again and, and cannot happen again so the most important thing from that was to, to obviously react and and obviously we have done that now we're getting getting the win on the weekend so um yeah obviously looking forward and moving forward now yeah it's been too positive obviously you'd have to say that the, the performance against sydney was a positive performance albeit the result wasn't there for till the end again on the weekend you've just touched on it there jack uh, about the performance yeah. at times wasn't to the expectation that you would like, but the grit, the character was there. So it sort of leads me down the line of obviously it was first win for Ben Khan, but what's been the changes since obviously he's come in um, to, to that head coach role? What What's actually been said to you guys? What's what's the difference in the mentality? Yeah, um, I think, I think to be fair, in terms of playing styles, it's quite similar in terms of um, the way we want to play. We want to play football, a certain brand of football, um, that's the first thing I probably noticed with uh, with Ben coming in. That's quite a similar style of wanting to play football and control the games, um, possession-based football, um, that that type of thing. And then obviously being able to, you know, win the ball, win the ball back quickly um, with with a bit of high pressing and that as well. So it's, I think in terms of that sense, it's been quite quite similar. Um, I think they've got quite dis- different personalities. Um, you know, for anyone who knows who knows Ross and and, and Ben, they've got quite quite different um, personalities. But I think. 
Ben coming in, I, I didn't really know Ben much before before he came in, but he's he's been brilliant so far. Um, and the way that he's conducted himself, the way he's spoken to us all, um, it's been it's been really good, and, and, and it's a really exciting time at the moment. So I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing working with him throughout the season. But yeah, it's I think I think the hardest thing for him is obviously there's probably a few things that he wants to implement, a few small changes that, uh, and adaptations that he wants to try and bring in, and it's hard to do that without him being able to kind of have the whole pre-season for us to work on those things like we had with Ross. Um, and you can see how in pre-season, how we were playing, how we are performing, and that the way that we are performing early in the season and in the Australia Cup was based on having that you know, full pre-season together to be able to work on these things. So I think probably the hardest thing for Ben is to, um, to obviously to try and implement some of the changes he wants to make. Um, again, I don't think they're massive changes at the moment, but implementing some little changes and it's, it's a hard thing to do because you've got games to play every week. We've got three games in, in a week now, um, so it's hard to try and implement those those changes because we don't really have the time on the training pitch to do so. So obviously that's something that that he and, and us as a as a group will have to um, try and work through together. Yeah, you touch on that and changes, and I think another thing obviously is you know injuries and what's occurred over the mm-hmm. the most recent weeks and the key players being out at, you know in certain games, which hasn't helped. So, in terms of you know for you, Jackie, I know that you've had a couple of serious ones, you've had a couple of niggles this year. How are you now? Obviously, it's good to see you back on the field and and playing a full match on the weekend. How's the injuries and how's some of those other injuries looking? You know, ahead of the you know the the big schedule that's coming up. Yeah, yeah it's always hard when you have have uh, uh, quite a few injuries it's not just one or two we've probably had four or five injuries over the last you know four or five weeks or so um so probably some of our kind of key players and, and senior players um which obviously doesn't help when you lose players but again it, it gives gives more of an opportunity to those younger boys that we have some really great young boys coming through um in our squad and as a whole squad we are a very young squad i think when you compare us to some of the other teams around the league um so it's a great opportunity for them but at the same time i think it's it's quite important for us to have to try and have our you know senior and experienced players out there as well, so it's uh, it's important having a good mix. And yeah, when you when you lose players, it's never it's never a good thing. But like I said, it's it's an opportunity for for other players and younger players to come in, and and that's the whole the whole thing with football is that you get that opportunity, you've got to you've got to take it. And I think quite a few of the young boys have been doing that. Um, and some of that we really believe in as well in terms of you know the way that we train. Um, everyone everyone understands their roles. Everyone knows the way that we play. So when this stuff does happen, no matter who comes in, we, we know and we're confident that they're going to be able to do that job. So um, it's obviously something that's quite important. But at the same time, I think there's a few boys that aren't too far off now. So we should see some of those boys who have been injured coming back into the squad in the next couple of weeks, um, which will give us a bit of a boost as well. You take on MacArthur on Thursday night. Jack, it's eighth against seventh. Mm-hmm. Big opportunity for you. MacArthur are playing some nice football, but aren't quite getting the results. So uh, that's an interesting one. Yeah. Suncorp Stadium Thursday evening. Get down there and support uh, the Brisbane Raw uh, Brisbane listeners on SEN 693 and support Jack Ingots, who has been around for 15 years now, 270 A-League games, been in this Raw side for uh, many a year, many a season, and he's doing a very good job as a leader of this team. Get down and support them, and it must be, as we let you go, Jack, just a very big opportunity for you on Thursday evening to keep the winning run going. Yeah, of course, uh, and that's, that's the main thing. Once you get a win, you need to be able to back that up and, and continue that momentum. We need to build a bit, of a bit of momentum after some of our you know, previous results over the last few weeks, um, so it's going to be extremely important for us, um, and especially being back at home. We always feel really confident playing at home at Suncorp in front of our fans. So I hope, hope everyone can get out there and support us because it's, uh, it's going to be a big one for us and it's important to get another, another good result going into this, um, this period where we've got quite a short turnaround in between games. Well said. Jack Hingott, thanks so much for joining us on The Global Game. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me.
Jack Ingot, he's a top man and a wonderful ambassador for all things football, really, in Brisbane uh, across the board. More coming up on the Global Game after the break. Daniel Garp here with you on the Global Game alongside Scott McDonald. So uh, a sad day for the APL as we've spoken about, Scott, with um, a bunch of very good people, unfortunately, um, losing their jobs. Unite round on the whole. Um, I think we understand why the concept exists. It's a compromise from that grand final deal, which we know was a shocker. And so they got around that after a season. Um, so it's the lesser of two evils, that's for sure. The crowds could have been a lot better. And perhaps there's some tweaks that can be made that are certainly more suitable for fans. But on the field, it was fantastic. Plenty of goals. The one game where there wasn't many was Western Sydney against Melbourne. Western Sydney Wanderers against Melbourne City. A one-year win for the Wanderers. A big one for Mark Rudin and his team. I thought the way in which they set up, Scotty, uh, to deny Jamie McLaren, who was taken off, and that is a rarity in the A-League, uh, of space, had a big impact uh, You know, in the week that Mark Rudin signed a new three-year deal. Yeah, it's a positive week for, for Western Sydney and for, for Mark Rudan as well. Uh, look, they've just gone about their business, you know, in a quiet way, obviously sitting now second in the table as well. Look, they're going to be a real threat in this final series. And, uh, you know, one of my ex-teammates, Dylan Perez, getting on the on the score sheet again. He's been in great form of recent, started the season on the bench, but has come more to the fore as the season's gone on with No Borello as well. We've got to remember that, No Borello and their team. And, and Tennyson's actually doing a good job up front. Uh, had a goal disallowed early on in that game. And look, you'd have to say all the clear-cut ch- chances come Wanderers' way in that game. And yeah, I think uh, all tactics-wise, they, they got absolutely spot on on the night. That they most certainly did. What about the win for the Phoenix? So they go back to the top level on points with the Melbourne victory. He's impressive, Giancarlo Italiano, isn't he? I mean, the Gloria are embattled right now as a football club, undermanned as well. But uh, the Phoenix got uh, a very important three points. Well, this was a game of the round for me, and mm. uh, you touch on uh, Wellington Phoenix right now. They're, they're another threat for me. Uh, they're, they're top of the league, and, and rightly so. I really like Zawada up top. Barbarousas is really contributing now. You know, the the local Kiwi boys have, have stepped up to the fore as well. And, Barbarousas. Uh, yeah, Barbarousas, is, you know, form's been incredible, isn't it? Eight goals in his last five matches. Um, you know, it's... The old Costa Barbarousas that we've seen at the Melbourne victory, isn't it? You know, more so than, than his Sydney FC days. But, you know, he's had huge success, you know, on the football pitch in, in, in the A-League. And look, uh, you know, going to Wellington Phoenix, everyone thought, well, that's pretty, pretty much the end of the career. But, you know, they're on the push. And yeah. you know, it wouldn't surprise me to see them all the way into those finals. Four championships, of course, for Costa Barbarousas. Adelaide United beat Sydney FC 4-3. Ibasuki with the hat-trick. Why he wasn't starting at the beginning of the campaign, I cannot understand. He is the man that is the uh, centre point of their attack, and it all just works nicely off him. That was a big win for the Reds against uh, Sydney FC, who had a little bit, bit of a setback after winning three in a row under the new coach in Ufuk Tolai. More of the global game coming up after the break, including a full Premier League review with KDB back pulling the strings for Manchester City. Don't go away. Enjoy a mountain of football on Paramount Plus. The A-Leagues, the FA Cup, the Socceroos and their Asian Cup campaign. All of it is live and exclusive. Get on the text line 0457 736 736. If there's anything you want to touch on in regards to the Premier League, we're going to uh, look at all that transpired in the UK now. one 1170 if you'd like to call us. Ange Postacoglu's first trip, Scott McDonald to Old Trafford on the weekend. Came away with a 2-2 draw without Hongmin Sing. <laughs> what did I say? Hongmin Sung. Is it? I've got it completely confused. Human Son is his name. My goodness. 
Um, he's at the Asian Cup, of course, and uh, they dominated possession as we thought they would. Yep. Spurs, United had some chances, probably even in regards to that. But uh, I think Andrew will be pretty happy with the performance considering he's without his captain and star striker, Jung Min Son. Yeah, yeah, he'd be happy with the performance, but I think he would have wanted three points. I think when you dominate possession at Old Trafford like that, they're there for the taking. Um, he would have liked to have come away clean and, and done the double over Man United this season. It wasn't to be. Manchester United, same old story for Manchester United. It was good to see Rashford get back on the score sheet for them. He had a little bit to say about it as well. Um, if anyone watches, obviously, the, the coverage from the UK and you, you listen to Roy Keane at times, it's just it's just gold to, to hear him. And obviously, everyone was waxing lyrical about you know Tottenham's performance, but... At the end of the day, it was only a draw. You know, they they dominated the game, and for me, you know, they'll be kicking themselves that they never come away for you know Old Trafford with three points on the day. It just sums up where United are at. That they step away from that game and they go, okay, you will take that. Like mm. the expectations have just fallen so far. And I heard Roy Keane speaking afterwards and saying, yeah, why are we going on about Spurs so much? And yeah, they got the point and they played well, big deal. But you know, for a former United captain, legend, to be speaking like that, he should be talking about his team, like, why aren't we winning any of these games? Whenever they come up against a bigger team, they just fall apart. They're edging past some of the smaller teams every now and again, but it just continues to degrade for them week by week. Yeah, it's a, it's a real struggle um, at the moment, and you, you just question how long Ten is going to survive. You know, as, as it goes along, there's one week where it's positive, and then, you know, it's one step forward, two steps back almost every single time. There's a positive result. Then there's a couple of negative ones. And look, the only positive, again, Hoyland scores yeah. a wonderful goal for that them. That is a big positive. You know, that's a big positive. He needs to start scoring more goals. Rashford's got on the score sheet. So they're hoping now this second half of the season, you know, that finally their, their attacking players can actually start hitting the back of the net. And if they do, you know, it wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they, they, they catch the likes of Tottenham and, and whatnot and, and you know, have a little push for that Champions League place. But it's a long way away for them. And, and like you said, Garby, they should be miles better than this. But touching on Tottenham, you have to say no no Son, as you mentioned, but Richarlison getting another goal. Mm. You know, that's now five in his last six games. Uh, huge for Ange and, and for Tottenham that someone else is obviously leading the line and, and getting those goals while he is away. Always a sign of a good manager when you get the best out of players. Richarlison's confidence was so low last season and just come in and he's got him scoring again. So that's a big plus. Uh, we're going to speak about Man City in a moment. Aston Villa held to that nil-nil draw by Everton. So they're still in third, Aston Villa, um, but Arsenal can go above them if they win their game in hand. Tottenham, only five points off the top. They have played an extra game, though, than Liverpool and Man City. Liverpool's still top of the table on 45 points. Man City on, on 43. But... Uh, yeah, teams are just starting to maybe sit back a little bit deeper on Aston Villa and frustrate them a touch. You know, it's becoming a little bit more of a challenge for them now in this middle part of the season. Yeah, it is. And look, there's a heavy reliance on, on Watkins' goals yeah. at the moment as well that they probably need to find. You know, there's a few that have you know chipped in. Louise has, has done pretty well. McGinn as well. So you have to say Bailey's had a decent uh, season as well. So you have to say that the, most of the team's performing, but perhaps maybe... You know, if Unai Emery was just to get that one top signing in the building in the January transfer window, that could possibly give them that little lift to, to go and have a, another kick uh, to, onto the end of the season here. But they're in they're in a good place at the moment. And uh, 
I fully expect them to be there or thereabouts in those Champions League spots, particularly with their home form, which has been absolutely brilliant this year. We've spoken about Kevin De Bruyne. Man City's win is obviously massive to come back from behind against Newcastle. Can I just ask you, Scotty, how hard is it when you're out for that long to come out and perform like he did straight away? That, that's the aspect yeah. of it that I'm curious to, to pick your brain about. That's ridiculously hard. So <laughs> hard. I mean, you can train all you want, try mm. and get your, your eye in, but there's nothing like finding real spaces under real pressure and the pace of the game and picking that up straight away. It shows you the elite brain and level that that guy is at. You know, it's superb. It's, it's ridiculous in, in my <laughs> eye because that, that's just so hard for someone just to pick up where they left off. Um, and he's certainly done that, hasn't he? You yeah. know, it, it, he doesn't even look like he's been out for that length of time. The impact he's made. Especially when you've had lots of injuries like he has. Like if you have one long injury in your career, then okay, you should be okay. But the body, you'd start to think he's, you know, he's not young anymore. He's 32. Mm. Another long injury layoff. A lot of people thought he's going to take a little while now. You know, is the body going to take some time to adjust? Is he going to have some mental scars? No. Comes out and plays like that, scores a goal like that and an incredible assist like that straight away for the winner. That's interesting you say that though, isn't it? Because perhaps the rest done him well. You know, Maybe. all these other players are playing so many games, yep. the loading on the body. All of a sudden, he gets a little break. Yes, you're still working hard in the gym and that, but the body's not taking its toll through those, you know, 20, 30 games more. You know, he's refreshed. You'd like to think in the way he's looking, you'd have to say that that's the case. Yeah, and with Haaland out until February, it was most welcome for Pep Guardiola. Chelsea's 1-0 win over Fulham was important. They're just starting to slowly but surely make their way up the table, Chelsea. Just stabilising under Mauricio Pochettino now. Yeah, they are. You know, and, and that was a, a key victory for them against, obviously, their you know, London rivals, Fulham, their, their next-door neighbours. Uh, you know, Fulham you know, haven't had the results that they probably would have liked with their performances of late, um, but they're, they're making it very, very difficult for the top teams around. Um, they they made it difficult for Liverpool in the League Cup, re- you know, last week as well and went to Anfield recently also. But, you know, you have to say for Chelsea, it's a positive, you know, after so many negatives, you have to say in the, the turnaround of players that they've had and the question marks around probably you know, even Pochettino, is he the right man to, to push them forward? But they are slowly getting there. However, I, I just... There's no way they get to those Champions League spots, Garby. They're, they're, for mm. me, they're not good enough at this moment. The squad's not good enough. It's not proven enough. Um, and they'll be up and down to the end of the season. And, and I think Chelsea fans will probably fully expect that to be the case at the end of the season. Arsenal take on Crystal Palace, the early game on Saturday night. Off three straight defeats, there is pressure building on the Gunners. And it will be in vogue at the Emirates. I've been to a lot of football stadiums. The Gunners fans can get on their team more than anyone. And I know they're not in that mindset right now because they're title contenders again and they hadn't been for many years prior to that. But it can be a, an uncomfortable place, the Emirates, when they're not going well. That first half an hour against Palace, off the back of three defeats, I reckon is critical for Mikel Arteta's side, Scotty. Yeah, they need to get a fast start. You said it there, Garby. The the fans can get you know impatient very, very quickly at Arsenal and a sense of entitlement of, of, <laughs> of what previous, you know, success has given them. Yeah. Um, certainly not of late, um, but they've been getting a lot closer and particularly off, off the back of last year and they'll be still kicking themselves. I think that would be the best possible opportunity for them in, in, a, in many years to come, I actually think, because the other teams around them will get even stronger. But Arteta's sending them in the right direction. They, they still need a striker. That's the biggest thing for me, Garby. They mm. need a number nine and they need it to come through the doors and give everyone that lift of positivity, including the fans, through this January transfer window. But there's just not many of them around.
So if Arsenal win, they can draw level with Aston Villa and Man City on 43 points. And then Liverpool take on Bournemouth on Monday morning, 3.30 a.m. Eastern, and they can stretch their lead back out to five points with a victory away to Bournemouth, which is not an easy place to go. So uh, a couple of big contests to look out for in the Premier League this weekend. Off the SMS, this through from Simon. Flew for Unite round to see my beloved Brisbane Raw play twice. That's the men's and women's he's speaking about, of course. It was an absolute blast. Great to hear, Simon. And it was great catching up with other football lovers from all over the country. Love hearing that as well. However, there is no doubting the vibes are down despite great competition on the field. The APL need to face some truths. Without infrastructure, we have no control over our destiny and possibly a dark future. Admit it, fix it. Um, We know about the negatives, but isn't it nice to hear that someone flew and connected with other football fans around the country, Scotty? And I think that was in vogue across the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. It was a, a party atmosphere. We just would have liked the party to have been bigger. And I said it already, all the games should have been at Allianz. Um, you know, all the men's games over two over two days, three games on one on the Saturday, three games on the Sunday, have a party atmosphere, get things going on the outside of Allianz Stadium as well, mm. making everyone feel a part of it. Yeah. And and actually celebrate the men's game and do the same with a women's game on a different round. You know, it's not because one's better than the other. It's just celebrate them both individually and give all the fans what they want. You know, I yeah. think that that's what the fans would want. The other aspect is if you had a season ticket for a team, you should have got in for free. I mean, the, the concept of yes. having to pay for another game when this was a government-backed initiative anyway, and we're only doing it because the government wants wanted to have the grand final, there's this compromise coming in. It's all being underwritten by the government anyway. So just let fans come in for free. Why should you have to pay for an extra game over and above your season ticket just because an extra round's been added to the calendar? That didn't stack up for me, and hopefully that gets fixed for Unite round next season. Uh, Scotty, back with plenty more in a moment. We'll talk the women's game soon with Alicia Canavis. And uh, we'll also delve a little bit deeper into the Asian Cup and what is going to transpire over there in Qatar. If there's a better intro tune... On sports radio the world over, I'd love to hear it. The Global Game here with Daniel Garvin, Scott McDonald, and that's a cracker as we bring in former Matilda Alicia Canavas to talk the women's game. Hello, Alicia. How are you going? Team, how are we? Taking a little bow. I, I love that song. It's a 90s classic. <laughs> it's a ripper. <laughs> and it works so well as an intro tune on radio. And uh, We've spoken a fair bit about Unite Round. Are we keen to get the women's perspective? What did you make of it from an A-League women's point of view? How did it work, Alicia? Look, I've got to agree with you, Scotty. I think the concept um, is pretty good, right? It, it's yeah. like we spoke about last year, and obviously there was that, I'm going to call it a bump in the road with the agreement with the New South Wales government. Um, this is the, the playoff, obviously, of that outcome. Um, I think just having it across two to three venues just dilutes the whole thing, personally. Um, unfortunately, I couldn't travel down to Sydney, had the flu, so I couldn't capture it in, in, in person. But just watching it from abroad, you can just see how much it dilutes the, the fan base. People are split all over Sydney. I understand the concept um, is to keep it in Sydney, and that is a big box tick. But when you've got fans split all over different venues for different games, it makes things a little bit difficult, right? So the impact then, I think, is a bit diluted. Um, crowd numbers weren't great um, from, from the viewership angle, from what we were seeing as well, if I'm being honest. Um, obviously, there's... 
we can fix that. Or the, the problems, I guess, with the marketing, I think, was lacking as well. So I'm with you, Scotty. I'd, I'd centralise it, and I'm not opposed to having a, a Unite round for the men's and a Unite round for the women's. I think the women's game has more than enough traction after yep. last year's Women's World Cup, and I think there's enough interest uh, to capitalise on that as well. And on the point of members... No one should be paying. If you're a member, if you put your money where your mouth is at the start of the season and back to your team, you mm. should have free entry to the United Rant. Couldn't agree more. I guess one of the highlights, though, Alicia, on the field was the legendary Michelle Heyman scoring her 100th yes. A-League women's goal in what was a critical win for Canberra United at the end, a team that has struggled this season. But uh, what a moment that was for an incredible servant of the women's game. Definitely, and what a wonderful goal. Can I say the finish? I thought was was sensational. Classic Michelle Heyman. I think she's wound the clock back a little bit, even though she's sort of at the, the, towards the end of her career and the end of her tenure, I think, for Canberra United. Um, I think having her achieve that, she's been, like you said, such a a figure in the women's game, particularly domestically, for so long. And I'm, I'm a real fan of seeing those players who've given so much to the game um, when it wasn't always... Uh, on top, so to speak, uh, it, particularly in women's football, who are now sort of reaping the rewards and getting the recognition that they absolutely deserve. So happy for her. And what are we, a far cry between the next player getting 100 goals? Like you said, I think Sam Kerr might be the only one, if she comes back mm. to the Gay League eventually, <laughs> that might catch her, but Michelle Heyman, light years ahead. We also seen some upsets, didn't we, over the weekend? Western Sydney Wanderers mm. defeating Melbourne City, the, the most notable there. Obviously, City still hold five-point lead at the top of the table, while Wanderers have moved into that finals place. They seem to be making a really good run there now, and obviously, Robbie Hooker, you know, that positive, you know, getting the another two years extension to his contract as well, and, and speaking to Amy Harrison, absolutely, you know, loving working under him at the moment. Yeah, and Hooks will be happy as well. I think what players and coaches need is that, that, um, I guess, endorsement from the club, right? And that settles players, it settles coaches, and it allows them to, to build culture. That's a big thing. We, we obviously look at great coaches and great teams. The underlying factor in a lot of these situations is the culture that they're able to create. And I think um, what Robbie's able to create right now with Western Sydney Wanderers is obviously working, number one. You can just see that in the results and, and how the team is starting to play a lot more positively as well. Um, having said that, Cat Smith obviously is, has left to go to Western United and you can see the improvement there at Western as well under her watch. So culture is a big thing. It might not work in every single situation, but Western Sydney definitely starting to pick up form and um, Robbie Hooker should be very, very happy with the extension as well. Perth Gloria, one of the stories of the season in the A-League women's, doing brilliantly to be up to second. A Melbourne victory held them to a draw, though, on the weekend. Alex Chidiak's third game back. They're without a win, though, since her return, and uh, they're struggling a bit, the victory. They can't quite get their feet, can they? I mean, Jeff Hopkins will be pretty frustrated. I've had a bit of time under Jeff myself uh, up here in Queensland when he was with the Raw. Um it's difficult. He's got such a stacked unit uh, in terms of the caliber of players that mm. he has. We saw Emily Gilnett come off the bench as well and and um, come back as well post injury. Um, he's very very stacked, but finding that balance is proving to be just that little bit challenging. I think for victory. Going back to the point of Alex Chidiak, I think she's lacked game time and just lacked consistency wherever she's been. Whether that's been with the national team, whether that's been over in Mexico, um, over in the United States. I thought she was playing 
quite well, but she's had a little bit of disruption with her momentum as a player. So I'm hoping she can find her feet because last season for victory, she was exceptional. Um, a matter of time, but I did note Jeff Hopkins barking a few orders at her <laughs> during that game as well. So look, I'm sure victory, the calibre of the team, the calibre of the club, um, they'll, they'll find a way, particularly under Jeff, but um, they are struggling to find that little bit of momentum at the moment. Yeah, going further afield, obviously it was FA Cup weekend for our women over in the UK. Charlie Grant, obviously getting a win in her debut for Spurs, came from behind to beat Sheffield United 3-2. And obviously Charlie playing 90 minutes for the first time since November this uh, year, which is a real positive as well, isn't it? Yeah, real, real positive. We touched on it last week, Scotty. Just for me, Charlie Grant is one of those players of the future, particularly for the Matildas back line. Yeah. So happy for her to see her at a new club getting 90 minutes under the belt. And I think that's it's the perfect time to start to build a real case for, for Olympic selection as well. Um, we're starting to see a few injuries. Alana Kennedy's still out with an Achilles injury, I believe, at the moment. Uh, obviously, Sam Kerr not there. So there are question marks over players with injury. If Charlie Grant can start to push her case and get that consistency in minutes, I think that would be wonderful for her in, in an Olympic year. Katrina Gorey got through 75 minutes for West Ham alongside Mackenzie Arnold. She's just moved there. Mini, the Mini Matilda, Katrina Gorey, um, yeah. one of the greats, of course, of Australian <laughs> football. That is her nickname. Uh, obviously, Sam Kerr wasn't there for Chelsea, but Chelsea uh, got the job done against West Ham. How did she go in her uh, early stages in her West Ham tenure, Katrina Gorey? Look, they look to be settling in really well. I say they, because obviously Harper's there with her as well um, while she makes his adjustments. So as a unit, I spend a lot of West Ham um, socials, a lot of Harper Gorey featuring. Yeah, so she's the up and superstar for, for West Ham. But um, for me, I think it's a great move. I think it's, it's a move she definitely deserves. And to see her get a decent amount of minutes as well, just to get that contribution done and dusted and a bit of confidence playing in a new unit, very, very important for her. So, um, look, she's a hard worker. She'll settle in pretty well. She's got Mackenzie Arnold there with her as well. So some familiar faces in the team. And I think similar to Charlie Grant onwards, onwards and upwards um, is the preference. These are the types of players for our team, for our national team that we want to see doing well. And what did you make of the FIFA Best Awards? Bonmati won it uh, to go with her Ballon d'Or award, but there's been a lot of controversy in the men's. Lionel Messi winning it despite the World Cup not coming into calculations at all, which does seem a little bit odd. Uh, it's voted by the players, and perhaps a lot of the players don't look outside of their own little bubble sometimes in terms of what's going on. But uh, what did you make of the Correct. Best FIFA Awards for the women? Yeah, look, I, I was pretty blunt on the old X this morning. I saw, I was scratching my head when I saw the, the outcome. I was like, how have we only got two Spanish players in that 11? That, that was a bit bizarre to me. It was very, very dominated, obviously, by, by the English team. Um, and credit to them, they were finalists at the World Cup. But um, maybe the blinkers were on Garby because for me, there were some Spanish players that definitely could have stacked that, um, that fifth pro 11. And um, given the, the Champions League alone for Barcelona, I think there were some, some glaring omissions if you ask me. So, look, it is what it is. Maybe there the blink is on, but I think it's much the same in the men's game sometimes, right? Oh, just 100%. Tend to, tend to stick with the populace. Well, what happens is what we need, Alicia, is for the journalists to vote. Because when they vote, the award is, you know, seems to be perhaps viewed a little bit more favourably. When the players vote, they look after their friends, they don't watch outside their own leagues, and then you get uh, situations like this. That's it. Totally agree on that. And I look, it's a WSL team for me by majority. So look, and it, it's the flavour of the month right now. But hopefully, 
post World Cup and we might get some World Cup post Olympics this year we might get some changes and some new faces for next year. Now that you're part of the media fraternity uh, you certainly uh, agree with that one. Alessia Canavas, former Matilda, thanks so much for joining us on the Global Game to talk all things the women's game. Cheers boys, have a good hour. The Global Game across the SEN network. Daniel Garb and Australian football great Scott McDonald with you, the current coach of the Gold Coast Knights, doing wonderful things over there in Queensland. Let's get to a couple of our listener questions, Scotty. This one through from Corey, Aussie Copper. It's a good one to debate. Anyone care to explain the handball rule? We'll be here a while, Corey. <laughs> How Brisbane, I think it was Kai Truen, his handball was seemingly not even looked at. Then Inghams was given a pen after a clear deflection off his leg that helped Brisbane win the game has me perplexed. At the moment, Scotty, it seems like the handball rule is perplexing. I don't think it favours anyone in particular. It's just sort of 50-50 calls and you just hope the referee makes the decision that goes your way in the moment, right? There's there's nothing black and white about (laughs) the handball rule. So you're always going to have arguments and discussions on every single incident that becomes a key part of, of games. Um, and none more so than obviously Dane Ingham's one. And, and obviously you mentioned Kai Truins, which I can't really recall. I'm afraid, sorry, but like the actual one that was given, it's so harsh. Like his hands underneath him or behind him, he's, he's gone to ground and it's hit another part of his body, which then in my eyes, which I had been told, unless the rules change again, that if it hits another part of your body before hitting your hand, then that is not a penalty. You know, that, that was clearly given as the, you know, the ruling, you know, when I was playing and then, at, you know, since I've been coaching, right, that if it hits as a defender, it hits another part of your body before it hits your hand, it can't be a penalty, all right? And actually, he's still in, he's still in a natural silhouette as well mm. when he goes to ground. His hand's not out the way, spread it to stop that ball. It's under, sort of underneath him slash behind him. Yes, and it's caught it as it's going along. But for me, what, what's he meant to do with it? Chop his arm off? You know, it's like, uh, you know, it's, it's a really, really harsh one and, and obviously cost them, you know, points at the end of the day as well. The big one as well on the weekend was the Josh Brillante handball in the last mm. minute, which yeah. wasn't given, which would have given Melbourne City the chance to equalise from the spot in stoppage time. Now, I'm happy it wasn't given because... Watching it, Josh Berlante's hand was away from his body. So by the letter of the law, it should be. But he wasn't looking down. I don't think he intended to handball it at all. It just accidentally hit his hand, which was extended from his body. So it could be given. I think the referee actually applied Jonathan Barrero some common sense in that moment. And when I don't think that should be a penalty in this state of the game. And I actually like it when referees, I always call for them to apply common sense in situations. And they did there. But I reckon if it's the 20th minute of the game, he gives it. Because, you, you know, there's less yeah. pressure, mm-hmm. you know, nil-nil, yeah, hands away from the body, letter of the law, we have to give that. But in the 90th, oh, it's a bit harsh, I'm not going to. It shouldn't go by the state of the game. But in the 20th minute, don't give it either then, if you don't think the player intended to or that um, it, it should be given a penalty based on your gut feel in that moment. But that's where the inconsistencies come in, right? Because different stages of games, therefore, <laughs> play a part too sometimes. You're none the better for for VAR at that, at that point because well, it doesn't it's make a difference. A, you've just said there it's it's personal opinion, and you're you're saying you like common sense, but by the letter of the law, it's a penalty. Yeah, right. So which one are we going off here? <laughs> right, you know. So should we go with the letter of the law, which states we might not be happy with that, but are we going to continuously go down that route with the letter of the law? Fair enough. Right, then we can stop arguing about it. But when you've got one referee using common sense and the other mm-hmm. one using letter of law, or not even using either. 
then we've got huge issues. And that's that's no matter if we're in mm. Australia right now or in the EPL, we're having all these discussions and everyone's pulling the hair out for what's left of it if you're a manager particularly. The problem is referees will interpret the letter of the law differently at times as well. They'll be like, no, well, that's not breaching the law of the game. And other times I'll say it will. We're always up to human interpretation and that's fine. That, that is how it's always been which is where the argument stretches to do we need VAR because it's actually helping matters because at the end of the day, it still comes down to human interpretation, right? You just got yes. a million and one replays to help you make that decision. Um, sometimes it does help and there are a number of offside goals that are given unfairly and you go, well, thankfully VAR's there. But I think on these decisions, it is causing far more confusion than it is solving right now. Um, but Western Sydney benefited on the weekend on another game. It uh, probably would have gone Melbourne City's way. I think we just have to live with it on time, Scotty. The frustrations of football. It was easier to take when there wasn't a review. That's the part, right? Like when there wasn't a review, you'd cop it because it was just a referee's mistake. Now they review it. It doesn't go your way. You can't understand that it's twice as frustrating. Everyone likes to say these things even themselves out throughout the course of the season, don't they? <laughs> as a coach, do you agree with that? <laughs> no. No coach will ever agree with that. They're always going to be hard done by Garby. No to chance. Poor us every time. Uh, uh, we love it. Uh, share with us your thoughts on that. 0457 736 736 1300 The global game on the SCN Network. Daniel Garvin, Scott McDonald with you. We're going to talk more Asian football in a moment with Paul Williams on the global game. The Asian Cup, of course. Something to sink our teeth into at the moment as our Socceroos got off to a winning start. But there are plenty of other talking points in that competition. Just a couple of texts, though, Scott McDonald, before we get to Paul Williams. Uh, thought Unite round was really good. Hopefully it gets bigger next year. This is from the text line. Is there a chance next year the old Rabbitohs training ground could be used? It has gates that can close. Small crowd would fit nicely. Similar to Norwood Oval in the gather round in the AFL. That's a nice suggestion potentially. Mm-hmm. But we do feel as if all the games need to be at the one venue, perhaps Allianz or Combank. Salty from Freshwater. With Ivan Tony coming back for Brentford, could this be the impetus for... Brentford to get out of the relegation zone. And if he does hit form after his ban, may Arsenal come back in for him? Thomas Frank has said they'd consider anything above £80 million potentially. I think if he does start scoring against Scotty, then yes, he will get a big move. Because as we know, yeah. strikers are hard to find. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he will. If he can find form like he has done previously um, for Brentford, then there's no question he'll be on to bigger pastures. And do you agree with the FIFA best winner? This one through on the text line as well. Even though Messi didn't have the best 23, lots of captains voted for him. I can't understand that. The Ballon d'Or, he deserved because of the World Cup. It carries huge weight. But that was 2022. How on earth he won it over Haaland or others based on what happened in 2023? I can't fathom that. No, absolutely. I agree with you, Garby. It should have been Haaland all the way for me. When yep. you win a treble as well and, and do it in the, the most difficult league, for one, and then obviously win the Champions League, it has to be him. Yep. That was a weird one, but the players voted, so blame them. <laughs> Paramount needs to be in more venues off the text line. Ridiculous, you can't go out to a pub um, or a club on a Friday night and watch Australian football. Couldn't agree more. And yep. uh, maybe the A-Leagues need to try and address that at the pubs around the country uh, as we move into next season. Paul Williams is with us to talk the Asian game. Paul, hello to you, mate. Hi, Paul. Gabby Scott, how are you guys? Good. Uh, much good. better after watching the Socceroos get over the line against India on Saturday night. It was nervy for that first half hour, but Igor Stimac has that Indian team set up very well. He does indeed, but it's always nice to uh, to start with a win. Obviously, it was far from our most polished performance. I think we'd all agree on that. But it's always mm. about growing into a tournament. You're not out there to win the tournament in your first game. It's about building up over hopefully seven games 
of football. I still think there is that concern about how we deal with low block. I don't think those yeah. questions have necessarily been answered. Um, I'd like to see Jordan Boss, Riley McGree from the start in the next game. I think they offer a little bit of a different dimension to our game as well. So um, there were some, some more questions to come out of it, but it's important to start with a win. Yeah, obviously the other take on the group as well was uh, the, the draw in it. What did you make of that game? Between Syria and Uzbekistan, yeah, I mean, and if you look at it, the, the the games were similar in that you had a team, you know, set up defensively out to, to stymie their opponent, opponent. That was Syria against Uzbekistan. So I guess looking at that, we can probably expect the same from Syria mm-hmm. when we face them next uh, in a couple of days' time. They will go with that defensive approach. I think they're going to probably be able to offer a little bit more offensively than than what India were, were able to do. I don't think India, apart from one or two opportunities in that first half, really offered much of a threat going the other way. I think with the, the tools that they have at their disposal, Syria will certainly offer that. So that's going to be a, a greater test for Graham on side to see what they've learned out of that opening game against India. We were talking off air, um, me and Garby, Paul, about obviously that being a draw. Um, does that give you a bit of fear? Obviously, that being now that those two teams are now still in contention of getting through to the final phase. If you're Graham Arnold looking at that, does that worry you in terms of going into now that next game where both teams can still trump you? Um, I, I don't think that will necessarily come into the equation for Graham Arnold. He's always been one that's always focused on we just do what what we need to do and the rest will take care of itself. Syria and Uzbekistan were always going to be challenging opponents in, in this group. You know, it's got banana skin written all over mm. it, those two matches. They're, they're teams that have troubled us in the past. So I, I think the focus would be very much on just trying to improve Australia's game. Um, but, yeah, you, you're right. That that draw certainly keeps both teams you know, in the hunt. Um, and, you know, Syria is going to be a, a difficult challenge. Um, when we, When is it? Wednesday, Thursday that we play them? Thursday night. Um, the three big teams... Uh, to have had wins so far. Iran, Japan, South Korea. Saudi Arabia plays in the early hours of the morning against Oman. Obviously, we the uh, the other side that makes up the big five. But what have you made of the wins for Iran, Japan and South Korea so far? Which stood out? Which team stood out to you the most from that pack in the early stages, Paul? Iran looked really good in their win against Palestine. Although you have to factor in that, again, that the, the opposition perhaps wasn't the strongest. Mm. Um Japan and Korea had scratchy performances, I think you could say. But I think what they showed is that they were both challenged in those games. Vietnam, you know, not just equalised. They took the lead against Japan and Bahrain equalised against Korea last night. But they responded, as you'd expect, favourites to respond. Um, Lee Kang-in, in particular, for Korea last night was absolutely sensational. I mean, his passing and vision is absolutely elite. Uh, and the goal that he scored to, to put Korea back ahead... Um, will be one of the goals of the tournament. He was superb, and I thought Japan, the way they responded against Vietnam, was the, a, a side, and it was their second string side. Um, it, it showed the depth and the quality that they have. So I think all three were impressive in their victories. It was a tough night for Indonesia and Malaysia, wasn't it? Indonesia making a fist of it in their 3-1 loss to Iraq, while Malaysia was soundly beaten by Jordan. A big achievement for either of them, obviously, to make this tournament, but what's required for these nations to make the step and, and be more competitive in these tournaments, you think, Paul? Yeah. Firstly, that Indonesia-Iraq match was absolutely brilliant last night. It was a, a great advert for the Asian Cup. And, and Indonesia gave as good as they got. And I said last week I wanted to show 
wanted them to show what they were capable mm. of, and they more than did that last night. Um, to, to answer your question, though, it's investment, and, and primarily it's investment in the domestic structures. It's to raise the level of their domestic leagues because that is where the vast majority of their players are playing week in, week out. So they need to raise the standards both on and off the field. Um, and they also then need to be able to send their best players abroad as well, whether that's to Japan, Korea. I'd even like to see some of them come here to the A-League as well because we know that they're good enough. We've seen it with Thai players in the past that have gone to Japan. We're seeing it as well. Super Choc and Ekinit are there. Yeah. Super Nat is in Belgium as well as Naui from Indonesia is in Korea, sending their best players abroad to get more experience will certainly help them as well. But it's all about raising the level of their domestic games. Looking forward to Thailand and Kyrgyzstan in the early hours of the morning as well. Kyrgyzstan's a team to watch out for. As I said with Simon at the start of the show, they are the romantic team for me. If they can uh, snare a win or two, I think that'd be one to watch out for in terms of a uh, a football minnow at the moment, developing at a reasonable rate. Uh, They've got something to be excited about. I want to ask you about Qatar more broadly, Paul. So they've had the World Cup just over a year ago. Now they get to back that up with the Asian Cup. Um, Where are they at in terms of becoming enamoured with football in that country? What are the crowds like? What's the interest like? Because it's a couple of massive competitions back-to-back in beautiful stadiums. We know all about what the World Cup was like, the controversies beforehand, what's transpired since, and so on. Where are they at considering all those things that have been mentioned as a football nation? It's really interesting because, you know, you look at the attendances domestically and they're still relatively weak um there's no doubt that there is massive interest for football within the country it's it's translating that into attendances week in week out because historically it's it's not a culture that has supported week in week out attendance Mm. of football it's it's sitting around with your shisha watching it on the the tv it's the it's the social aspect of of watching football rather than the physical actually going to the stadium and mm. and supporting it i've been really impressed with the, the crowds for this tournament i think some of the the crowds that we've seen are fantastic compared to what we saw in in 2011 so that shows there has been growth you know there was 36,000 between australia and india the other night there was 9,000 when we played in in 2011 so that in itself shows that the growth of football not with just within qatar but within india as well and with that in mind, it flows on to the developments in Saudi Arabia. So reports that Jordan mm. Henderson wants out of Saudi, along with Roberto Firmino and maybe a couple of others. What do you make of that? What does that say for the Saudi league? I mean, there, there are some who are already saying, here we go, it's another China. I'm not sure that will be the case. But what do you make of these players wanting to get out of there and, and what might transpire in the future as a result of it? Yeah, th- those reports uh, are interesting because... There's been nothing official from either of those camps yet to say that the players themselves actually want to um, want to leave those countries. I think we're always going to see those reports and whether they're factual and whether they're true remains to be seen. I'll be interested to see whether you know any or all of those players do actually leave Saudi Arabia or whether it's just um, you know media fodder. But it, it's really interesting because we've we've come off Qatar being sort of the centre of the football universe for the last 10 years as we built up to that World Cup. And we're now entering the the Saudi era mm. over the next decade. Of course, they've got the Asian Cup and the World Cup and the Asian Games over the next 10 years as well. We're going to find out what legacy that has left in, in Qatar. Um, but 
what Saudi Arabia is doing is is Qatar on steroids. The investment is <laughs> far exceeding anything that that Qatar did, um, and I'm, and I'm pretty sure they'll have seen the mistakes that Qatar made, and they'll be sure to uh, to make sure that they don't repeat those same mistakes when they look to build their own football system. An interesting watch. Talk about Henderson going to Ajax now from uh, from Saudi Arabia. Yeah, it's an interesting development, that's for sure, considering what happened. Uh, in the off-season. Paul Williams, thanks so much for joining us to talk Asian football and uh, go the Socceroos against Syria on Thursday night. Indeed. Indeed. Cheers, guys. See you, mate. Cheers, Paul. Back with more in a minute to finish off for the Global Game for your Tuesday afternoon. Almost done for the Global Game for another show. Daniel Garp here filling in for Simon Hill. Scott McDonald with me. You got games coming up, Scotty, for uh, the Gold Coast Knights. Talk us through we that. Do, we do indeed, yes. We've got a couple of friendlies. We've got Hume City coming up from uh, from Melbourne, nice. which is always nice to play uh, You know, teams from, from different states and, and how competitive they can be. So that's a, a good build-up to the season ahead. We've got the Kappa Pro Series restarting, which is our... Uh, cup competition up here in football Queensland, uh, looking to retain that Garby. So Good. yeah, big few weeks ahead. Uh, the the weather's taken its toll up here a bit. The the rain's been heavy, so that's the frustration. But nah, just just building again, mate. Trying to win everything uh, once again, like last year, and uh, we're we're in a good place at the moment. So. Looking forward to the season ahead. Lovely. I'm coming to Brisbane for a little anniversary trip with the wife on Monday. So hopefully I'll bring some good weather your way, Scotty. Uh, Any acquisitions for the team that you can speak of just yet? Anything you're working on? Um, I think our business is pretty much done. I did have good conversations with a few ex-A-League players who are still, you know, of a good age. Um, But we managed to retain Brad Inman, uh, which I was... Heavily surprised that I'm still shocked that he's not in the A League itself. But wow. everyone has their different opinions, Garby. Mm. And um, you know, we'd be one player that I'd take with me for sure if he if we was going the next level because he's still capable. But we're very fortunate to have him. I watched Brad Inman closely when I was in the UK. He was playing there at a, at a really good level. He was in a soccer squad once upon a time, mm-hmm. and uh, he's obviously a big asset for you at the Gold Coast Knights. Scott McDonald, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks to everyone for listening to the Global Game. Back with more next week on Tuesday, covering all things football from here and abroad. It's been great to bring it with you, bring it to you on the SEN network. Thanks to our producer Alex Molchanoff, who puts it all together superbly. Enjoy your week in football. The run home is not too far away on SEN 1170 and SEN 693.